Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Physical therapy is a threat to GDP. Hey, everybody, buckle up. Uh, In this episode, we're going to be walking through why I think we might be looking at the physical therapy or uh, the conservative care issue incorrectly. And I think we have a lot of assumptions that we're going to be able to change the healthcare system without uh, really thinking uh, what's at play here. So here's some of the problems that I'm hearing currently within the marketplace. And I divided this up into finance, marketing, and personnel. So in terms of financial trouble, my practice isn't as valuable as I want it to be. How can I make it more valuable? What do I need to do to build a more profitable practice, a more valuable practice? We're not as profitable as we need to be. How can we build in a healthier margin of safety? Or I can't pay my team members the way I want to. How can I reward them or compensate them better? In marketing, we have holes in the schedule. Our therapists have too much downtime. How can we consistently attract more new patients? How can we have more reactivations, more word of mouth referrals, more cold traffic? I've even heard more physician referrals. With personnel, we can't find good people. We can't keep good people. How can we attract and retain the right people in the right seats? So they're the problems that we're facing. And I think, you know, you've heard quite a bit from me uh, with regards to the physician fee schedule. With this cut here in 2024, we're now lower than what we were 30 years ago in 1994. At the same time, the value of the dollar is about 48% today as what it was to in 1994. So the the value of the dollar has dramatically decreased. And the end effect of that is that a visit with a federal payer is worth about half of what it was 30 years ago. And that's a problem. So we're great as clinicians, and I say physical therapy all the time because I'm a physical therapist and biased, but this applies to optometrists, dentists, podiatrists, chiropractic, functional medicine, um, everything across the board, naturopathic doctors that is lumped into conservative care as defined by CMS. So we're great at considering our own perspective, uh, specifically as a clinician. We're not good at looking at the others that are involved here, that are, you know, the others that are playing within the same arena. So uh, I've heard a few assumptions over the last couple of years that very much concern me the more I think about it. The first one is insurance companies want to save money. The next one is governments, governments or politicians want what is best for the people. The third is healthcare systems want to help people live healthier lives. And while I don't uh, completely, how do I say this the right way? Um, I believe that each of those statements um, can be very polarizing. I I don't think it's a popular view to say that 100% insurance companies governments and the politicians involved in healthcare systems want the opposite of that, or they don't want it. I just think they have higher priorities. And we're going to talk about that. So let's talk about politicians first. And it doesn't really matter to me, you know, if you're right wing, left wing, doesn't matter how you're looking at it. Um, in, In general, Politico or politics 
handles healthcare very much the same way. They make promises that they can't possibly keep, right? And I mean, you can look at any healthcare agenda from the last 20 years, at least my professional career, and I've never read one where I felt very confident that it was going to solve the healthcare problems in our country, where the motto seems to be, I want to be able to live as unhealthy as possible. And, you know, I, I don't want you to take away any of my individual rights. And I want somebody to pay for the repercussions, the consequences of my unhealthy choices. Um, yeah. So, and this is the same populace. Now, yeah, I, people are into, you know, biohacking and many other things, living healthy lives, right? There's lots of research out there, but we have, uh, if you look at the health of our population, uh, we, we we have a decline, right? So this generation of people that are growing up right now, and I'm thinking about this as a father, you know, my children, they're, this is one of the first generations in literally hundreds of years where they're going to be less healthy than the pr prior generations. So that's not good. Um, and that's the context of which I'm talking about right here. And because the, the politicians make promises that they can't possibly keep, what they end up doing in the end is they borrow or print money. Um, and that increases the debt, the debt to the future generations. So we're left with a system that isn't necessarily working well. It's not effective. It's definitely not cost effective. Right now, if we take our 2023 numbers, the four plus trillion dollars that we've spent in the US, one out of every five dollars going to healthcare expenses. Um, the, and it's also the number one reason for default uh, personal bankruptcy in the country is healthcare expenses, medical expenses. Um, if we if we take a look at that, you know, we we don't have an, an adequate system. It's over thirteen thousand dollars per year per person for healthcare in this country. It's a pretty gross number. And again, if you look at the system that we have in terms of effectiveness, yes, we do some amazing things, especially with acute emergency type health. You know, somebody has a heart attack. I want to be in the system um, for chronic situations. Uh, I, I don't think we have the best system, um, but yeah, so. The majority, the politicians backed into a corner. They made promises. They're they're printing money, and in the end, or they're they're borrowing money, and in the end, they have to cut spending somehow, right? So who is, <laughs> if we look at all the healthcare contingencies, who is the provider who has the least representation at the Capitol in Washington D.C. or the state Capitol, whatever it might be? It has to be conservative care. We have the least amount of money, right? So. The other thing is that the politician really has it as their their goal or their responsibility to grow GDP, gross domestic product. That's the number of financial exchanges that happen in any economy, whether you're looking at a you know a, a county, a city, a, a state, or a country. They want to grow GDP. If they don't, it's considered a recession, right? And it's considered a failure of that politician, whether they cause that or not or it's the result and effect of a pre previous politician. Um, but no politician wants to hang, you know, the, the, the star of recession on their, their CV for their political career. Right. And the other thing that happens there is they're also afraid of unemployment numbers. So change to the system in any way at all can be a threat to GDP and can be a threat to unemployment numbers, because if we don't need, you know, as many surgeons or as many physicians, or as many physical therapists or whatever it might be, that creates a, an issue. The second big player in the arena 
um, behind. So number one is politicians. Number two is the insurance companies. Look up any insurance company. I'm going to use, uh, because we're going to tie this in later, Aetna, right? And Aetna currently has a CEO and oddly that the executive vice president president of Aetna is the CEO of CBS. Um, Brian Kane, you can look him up. It's a publicly traded company and I'm not saying anything that isn't public knowledge. Brian appears to be a hired CEO prior to Aetna and CBS, which are the same company. Um, he was the uh, CEO or COO, CFO, uh, was a C-suite executive at Humana. Um, had a very generous compensation there. Looks to be more than $5 million a year. Looks to, like in 2020, he cashed out about $20 million in stock options at Humana before moving on to Aetna and CBS. Prior to that, he was uh, an in, involved in as an investment broker with uh, Goldman Sachs. He's a director at Goldman Sachs. So definitely a, a hired hand, a hired CEO, right? Um, his compensation is dependent on stock options and salary, which are dependent on him growing revenue and growing earnings, right? He doesn't want to be the person that takes over Aetna and CBS. And then uh, they have 300,000 employees. They have an absolute boatload of revenue. Uh, they have $13 billion in cash. Again, all this is public knowledge. You can go to your E-Trade account or any uh, place, any platform that publicly trades stock stocks and, and equities in the U.S. And, and look up this report. This isn't news, um, but they have $13 billion in cash reserved. And you know, compare that to private practice revenue for the last year. So Aetna has more in cash reserves than private practice PT revenue for the last 12 months, right? So that's, we, we don't have a lot of power in that situation. And if I'm the CEO of an insurance company, and I'm also the CEO or director, president of a pharmacy, what am I going to discourage? You know, the, any interview, if you don't have Aetna yourself, ask any Aetna um, subscriber, any patient that has Aetna as a provider, as an insurance provider, and take a look at their payment structure. What's the payment for outpatient physical therapy? What's the payment look like the patient's responsibility for medication? Right. And you can quickly see for yourself, um, it, by the way, amazing business decision if you're looking to grow revenue and grow earnings, which by law is, is what the CEO is required to do. Right. So we're not going to be able to magically, by sheer will, um, overpower Aetna in, in any way. It's the wrong game to play. But again, the purpose of me recording this is that so that you look and start under you have some awareness and you understand the rules and the game that is being played and that we're all part of, um, and especially the arena that we're in. And the final one is the healthcare system. Again, uh, many of these, you know, healthcare systems are run by CEOs. They're brought in and for profit or not for profit doesn't really matter. And I'll get there in a second. But their their responsibilities are to grow revenue, grow utilization, and grow profitability of that practice again whether it's for profit or not for profit if it's not for profit they're likely doing you know some sort of uh, charitable donation to that um to a cause or whatever it is that they support but at the same time that ceo is being compensated 
right? They're not brought in to shrink revenue, shrink profitability, shrink utilization. That's not what they're brought in to do. It's quite the opposite. So now we at, at least understand the three Goliaths that we're in the arena with. And I, I, I think it's fairly short-sighted that we're going to be able to hire a single person to make the, the case for us that is going to bring the magic wand through and make everything better. I don't see that happening. I think it's unrealistic because if we look at the skin in the game, it's very much working. If I were running, an, if I were the CEO of an insurance company, if I were the CEO of a healthcare system, if I were an insurance company, I don't win by driving to conservative care. And that that is a tough truth, but we have to understand it, right? And I think much of the efforts that I've seen there are very much placating. Case in point, and by the way, this was handed to us on a platter. And as an industry, we never did anything with it. In 16 years, we haven't done anything with it. On January 12th of 2007, on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, there was an article written by Vanessa Furman's. You've likely seen this if you've been in private practice for a while, if you've been a clinician, and it was highlighting the Virginia Mason Hospital, and it was something along a novel approach um, to cutting healthcare cost. And they talked about uh, within the Virginia Mason Hospital in Puget Sound that they this hospital under, uh, underwent a study, and they looked at how people were treated for acute back pain. And they noticed that there was a wide range. So people that went to conservative care first, specifically physical therapy in this case, the average plan of care was, I believe, $900 to $1,200 off the top of my head. If you went to something else, imaging, you frequently ended up in uh, medications, injections, or surgery. And the average pl uh, plan of care there, patient encounter, was $2,200 to $2,500. So same exact diagnostic set two different pathways. Which one do you think the hospital system wanted to do? More on that on a second. Which one do you think the insurance company wanted to do? Which one do you think the politicians in the area were pushing for? Now, huge cost savings, outcomes were the same, um, or maybe even better with physical therapy. But uh, the one quote from that, um, oh, let me try to find that. It's worthwhile. Um, oh, I don't have it. The I'm going to find it here. This was from a, a hospital executive at Virginia Mason. Everyone gained but Virginia Mason. So because they lost revenue through their MRI, is what the article highlighted, um, again, on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, 16 years ago, because they lost revenue with the MRI, the hospital lost money, and they actually had to see those back pain patients at a loss of $200 per, per episode, where before when they ran them through the MRI, the profitability was $100. So there's a $300 swing for them. Everyone gained but Virginia Mason. Again, that's an executive at the Virginia Mason Hospital. So you understand what they're uh, a bit of what they're up against. Um, amazing article. You should definitely read that. January 12th, 2007, Wall Street Journal, Vanessa Furman's. Uh, I cannot believe that v Vanessa was never, uh, or as far as I know, approached in any way and sent to do, you know, more, 
journalism uh, in healthcare. We had a we had a layup as an industry. We we really did nothing with it. Um, and I'll give you another one uh, just to take it a step farther. Tim Ferriss is a fairly popular writer. Has written Four Hour Work Week, Four Hour Chef, Four Hour Body, uh, Tribe of Mentors, etc. New York Times. New York Times bestselling author, uh, several times over. In his book, The Four-Hour Body, he goes through and highlights quite a bit in there. Uh, It's very pro-conservative care. And in the end, one of his conclusions, and this is as a lay but well-studied, well-read person, well-researched person, um, he said, listen, you know, here's how I think about musculoskeletal health. And this is a gene. It's so simple. It's genius. He said, whenever I have a musculoskeletal injury, here's how I think about it. Number one, the first step, the the first thing I'm going to try to do is you move you. So that means that that like if I'm injured and I have a shoulder issue, I'm going to try to go through some sort of corrective movement to try to change my shoulder pain and my shoulder injury. The second thing, and by the way, lowest cost, right? Everybody can go to YouTube and watch videos of the top three exercises for whatever their malady is. And uh, some of the world's going to get better from that. Lowest cost by far. Uh, so you move you is number one. Number two, if that doesn't work, then we move on to someone else moves me. So in the case of I have shoulder pain, I can go see a physical therapist. I can go see a, a chiropractor. I can go see my DO. I can see an ATC. I can see, um, shoot, now I can go to stretch lab. There's lots of things that I could do where another clinician is moving me to try to correct the problem with some sort of manual therapy, manual-based therapy. Um, the third thing that we can do, and we only move on to this, right? So that's a little more expensive. And that's where most of us fall in conservative care is we are the clinician moving the patient. The third thing that we can do is medication, right? So that's a little more invasive, a little more risky, a little bit higher cost, especially long-term when we look at the system and the, the population of people in the country, there are a lot of side effects from medications. A lot of people dying from, uh, taking pers- medications as prescribed. There's not a lot of people dying from the first two. It's pretty low risk. Also, significantly lower cost. Creates a, a way healthier person long term. But occasionally, both of those fail and the person's going to have to move on to medication. We can start with over-the-counter and then move on to a stronger prescribed medication. After that, if that those three things don't work, then we move on to an injection. Right? That's uh, medic, essentially a medication within our body delivered directly to the body via, um, via an injection. And the final one, number five is surgery. If we look at where that $13,000 plus per year is going within our national health spend, 72% goes to medications, injection, surgery, right? Less than 10% goes to the first two. We're not, we're not investing there. It's not sexy. It, for the politician, it's not, it's not a win. It's not a GDP growth booster, right? To to emphasize the first two, uh, to emphasize conservative care. To the insurance company, if they want to decrease their profits, if they want to decrease the amount that they're paying out, then it's a win, right? But the second that they start opting in for conservative care, what will happen is a lower utilization of medications, injections, and surgery. And when that happens, they're shrinking their revenue. When that happens by law, they must charge lower premiums, right? They can't keep the premium at the same rate. The only way that they can increase the rate of the premium by law is when they're paying out more money. Same thing with the healthcare system. 
if we're going to take $50 million and, and build a wing, right, an orthopedic wing of a hospital system, that w- we have to make that money back somehow. And it's by utilization. If everybody's going to therapy and canceling their $114,000 spinal fusion, that's going to be an issue and a hindrance to us paying for that building, right? And nobody wants to be a failure. So think about that, uh, that Vanessa Furman's article, super powerful, very simple process there by Tim Ferriss. Again, we've been handed these things. We do very little with them. And we're, you know, what I see frequently and at least the forums that I'm in, the owners that I'm talking with, the groups that I'm involved with is some colossal effort, some, you know, amount of trying, some amount of hard work or just sheer will that we're going to be over able to overcome this is it hasn't worked in 30 years and I don't think it's going to work in the future. What may work is that we get smarter and we simplify and we understand the game that we're really playing and that we're, uh, you know, ultimately willing to be a little more disruptive. And I don't mean disruptive wrecking. I mean, disruptive being willing to go into the marketplace and actually educate on, on what we're doing. So, you know, when I think about physical therapy and conservative care being a threat to GDP, there are a few things that are happening within the marketplace right now that um, you might want to consider because the easy thing to do is blame the politician, blame the insurance company, blame the healthcare system. And I think that's the wrong thing. And, you know, even if we get very, very personal when we know who those people are, um, that's an easy game to fall into. And I don't think that's helping us in any way. Before we go projecting our problems onto those three specific Goliaths, but let's take a case in point. So, um, yeah, so we usually get a little reaction there. Um, the, you know, it's one of the hot topics right now is AI, right? You likely have heard by now that AI took the physical therapy licensure exam and I think scored a 95% or something like that, the, the state board exam. So did better than me, uh, you know, better than I did 23 years ago and all the study that I had to put in and a, a computer beat me. Fair enough. Um, so now think about what would happen if that same AI, that same artificial intelligence computer could analyze a person, their, their movements in 3D, they could assess what's going on and they could prescribe um, instantly uh, an exercise program that would eliminate 75% of musculoskeletal health pain, right? That think about how, how are you feeling when I say that, right? You might say that's impossible. Well, it's, it, it's actually pretty close right now. So it, it's coming. Um, but how would you feel with that happening? We're already using it in sports performance, AI correction, nothing new there. It, it, it's coming in musculoskeletal health. Think about that feeling, how you're feeling right now. Or think about how you see, you know, when you drive down the street and there's a stretch labs that opens up and you're thinking, wow, they're using a non-licensed clinician to stretch people like this is crazy, right? We should be doing this, right? That, so very quick, quickly, when we feel somebody encroaching and we're thinking in that zero sum game mentality, we get, we get very squeamish. We get very reflexive reaction, reactionary, super quick, Right. What's well, the same thing for the CEO of the insurance company? It's the same thing for the politician. It's the same thing for the, the CEO of the healthcare system. That's what they feel. 
And, uh, you know, it's GFY, good for you, right? But like, what what can we do? How can we move in the right direction? Is there is there a better better way to thinking? I'm going to give you an example here. And uh, I, I don't have the answer for you. I know there are some, some things happening with uh, what we can be doing with data analysis, with research that we're not really talking about much um, in, in PT and conservative care that I see happening. The, in the end, the individual patient, the individual person, it, it, that, that's the right, right path. And I'll share a story with you. When I was in my funk in 2009 to 2011, um, and you know, you may know some of my story where in 2009, I lost almost $100,000 in, in my practice. That's income minus expenses was negative 100K. It was devastating, almost lost the practice. And uh, that was the, so we kind of had the perfect storm of a dramatic decline in physician referrals and um, the last great uh, financial crisis. And I had also tripled our square footage from 4,000 square feet to 12,000 square feet within a year. And uh, just, it, it was a bad time. So went through that, very much stopped investing in myself. And then the first time I invested in myself, I bought this series of books by Jeffrey Gittimer. And his original book was uh, The Little Platinum Book of Cha-Ching, I believe is what, what it was called. And in that book, he told the story of John Patterson. John Patterson was uh, a, a trainer, a director, the head of National Cash Register, NCR, which still exists in Atlanta, Georgia. And he was training in a boot camp style, uh, these sales reps. Now, this is the late 1800s. This was before, uh, and very specifically, I believe it was the 1870s. So it was before paved roads, the automobile, uh, the uh, phone, electricity, et cetera. They, they didn't have a lot going for them. But uh, th this guy was very diligent. And he had this highly trained sales team. And they were going out trying to sell this cash register, this fairly expensive cash register in the marketplace. And they were going B2B. So from NCR directly to the business owner, which in this case was the five and dime shopkeeper. And the results were not, were not good. And they had um, a lot of trouble selling this, this cash register because the, the cash box seemed to be doing just fine. Now, what John Patterson understood and the salesman understood at NCR that the shopkeeper did not is that, the, um, that theft was very high. So what they did is they created this mechanism where they started producing a receipt as a result of the transaction. And... So they still could not, with, with that new machine and that new addition, which was revolutionary at the time, they could not get the shopkeeper to understand that this was going to help curb their theft, which was eating away at a significant portion of the revenue. Clerks were basically stealing money out of the cash box. So what they did, very novel, very brave, very bold, very disruptive, is they started marketing direct to the consumer. And they said... And they had a series of billboard advertisements, print ads, et cetera, ask for a receipt, right? Get a receipt. So what was happening is people were walking into a store demanding that the shop give them a receipt for the transaction. And that um, completely different. The shopkeeper might not listen to the NCR salesman, but they're definitely going to listen to that 
listen to the customer. We're in that same exact ballpark, right? Like the, the only change that I've ever seen take place that's been reasonable and sustained um, in, in physical therapy in my, my 24 years now is when a patient has done it, right? When a patient has gone to the insurance company and one of my favorite stories of all time was uh, an employer of 300 who was cut off at 12 visits on the year. And uh, she went in and within a day went directly to the insurance company and had them change her benefits, right? They're going to, they're going to listen to her. And that is the type of effort that we're going to need. I don't think it's in, in going to Washington where we have to compete with large healthcare systems and insurance companies and they're, they're lobbyists. They can throw a lot more money in that direction. I'm not saying we should abandon it, but I'm I'm not saying we should put all of our eggs in in that basket. Much better for us to go um, directly to the patient. So in the end, you know, we have lots of data, lots of research, lots of truth that supports conservative care. Yes, it's the right thing to do, um, but we need to understand the other players in the game. Just like David versus Goliath, we're really you know David versus three Goliaths, and we need to understand the rules that they're playing with. Um, and that, uh, in the end, if, if we don't understand those rules, we're, we're, we're going to lose in a fairly big way. We've already lost significant ground over the last 30 years. You know, the, the focus on infrastructure, I believe is key. If I were starting over and I were a practice owner right now, I'd be looking for best practices. Uh, if you've ever seen the founder with, uh, I believe it's Michael Keaton, who's playing a, a young or a, a, an early Ray Kroc, and Ray Kroc is selling uh, milkshake machines, and the McDonald's brothers ordered eight milkshake machines, I believe, from them, from him, and uh, and he was having trouble selling a single machine, and he went to California and saw uh, the McDonald's brother hamburger stand and how efficient it was and everything they were doing. That's what I would be doing as a, a private practice owner, looking for best practices, looking for success, and emulating that success, and specifically practices that are marketing direct to the consumer that are having a big change and aren't relying solely on insurance companies or politicians or healthcare systems in order to um, grow and leave an impact in their area. Lots of data, lots of research. Uh, interested in your thoughts on this one. Uh, probably the best way to give me feedback if you're interested, uh, I'd love to hear from you, is uh, chat at getbreakthrough.com. Uh, that's my the best email address to reach me at, but uh, interested in your thoughts on physical therapy and conservative care being a threat to GDP. Thanks, everybody. Here at the end of the episode, I'll be sharing a link where you can go and take a marketing quiz specific for your private practice. I want to get you that link right now um, because I'm sure that you're curious where your practice is at. So we put together a marketing quiz. Um, so you have a very good sense of how you're doing relative to the rest of the market. And what you can do is go to quiz.getbreakthrough.com forward slash marketing. And you're going to be able to compare your results, how you're doing in your private practice marketing today with other private practices um, all over the country. So we'll ask you questions. Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess this will take you eight to 10 minutes to go through. There may be uh, 15 to 20 questions in that. We're going to ask about what you're doing across all five marketing channels. And the more 
brutally honest you are with yourself as you're going through the quiz, um, the the more accurate information you're going to get um, on the tail end. So great quiz. Uh, worked with quite a few marketing experts on this um, and also how we think about it ourselves and marketing our private practice. But in the end, you know, if you can control more than one marketing channel, your practice is going to be safer and more stable and you're going to get more consistent growth in the end. And that is why we created the quiz. So you can go to that URL. I'll put it in the show notes as well. And you can take the uh, private practice marketing quiz.